Hello, and welcome back to Idiot's Alphabet Soup. Today, we're going to be talking about Atul Gawande and his book being mortal. Hey, actually, though, this book was so good. I loved it so much. I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, in a very existential dread kind of way. And we're all going to die. It's the type of book that, like, I read it and I was like, I have to talk to somebody about this. This is actually... I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast. I've I've definitely talked about this book on the podcast before. Um, But like, yeah, I read the book um, for like the brighter winter challenge, reading challenge that we were both doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the books is read a medical memoir. And I was like, oh, I just happened to have it on hand because I picked it up from the bookstore once because I thought it looked looked interesting. And like, I read it and I was like, oh boy, I need to talk to someone about this. So I I went and bought (laughs) it for Catherine and had it like shipped to her house. Because I was like, I need you to read this, and I need to yes. talk to you about it. And now I have my own copy. It made me very nervous. In a yeah, there is something about it. Like you read it, and you're like, "Wow, I am going to die," and I cannot. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. I know, and there's also questions of what am I going to do when my parents are old. Yes. I mean, they're pretty old now. Sorry. They're uh, middle-aged. <laughs> Apologies, Mom. But, like... Wait, how old it... are you? So my mom was born in 1969. So she is... 23 plus 31, <laughs> 54. And my dad is 63. Oh, okay. Aha. Okay. Math major. I love that. So our our dads are the same age then. Oh, okay, cool. Um, he was born in nineteen sixty. Well, nineteen fifty nine. He's turning turning sixty four okay. this year. Um, and then my mom turned sixty this past year. Sorry to just announce your age on the internet, mom, but like, you know what? You do sixty well, I think. <laughs> okay, so our favorite bit, um, for this episode. Okay, we, so you say favorite bit, but we've only done it once before. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit that we do every time. And it's my favorite of our bits. Of our it maybe is our only bit, actually. Our one of one bit. So technically it is my favorite, and technically also my least favorite. But it's one that I like. And this is well, I love it because you created it too, like unintentionally. I know. Well, I was bored, um, wasn't I? Yeah. So anyway, um, we've been doing this thing of reaching out to the authors of the books we talk about and seeing if they want to be on the podcast with us. Um, and so I emailed Mr. Dr. Atul Gawande, um, and I admittedly was a little bit late getting around to it because I only emailed him two days ago. Um, and I was like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We love you. We love your book please come on our podcast. Thank you. Um, and he and like immediately got a note back that was like, thank you for your note. This email inbox is no longer active. We appreciate your understanding. Sincerely, the office of Atul Gawande. So um, I didn't even get a personal response, which like is understandable. He probably has some other email out on the internet, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I didn't think he would be crazy popular because i've never heard of the man before and like andy watt 
Andy Weir managed to respond in a decent amount of time. Yeah. I mean, maybe he does have, like, a different email address that he's actually using that you can actually reach out to him at. But also, like, Andy Weir is only an author, right? Like, that's all that he does. Atul Gawande is, like, also a doctor. And I feel like to him, his doctoring is probably more important than his book writing. Maybe so, yeah. I can, uh, I can get down with that. Anyway, let's talk about the book, Jenny. <laughs> let's do it. So, Atul Gawande is, as Jenny said, a medical doctor. And basically, the book is made up of several stories and, like, situations that he's come across in his career and his personal life that deal with humans facing their mortality. Whether it be for their loved ones, like their moms or dads or grandpas, or... um. For people who, like, actually go through the nursing home process. I don't know why that makes me want to cry, but it is super depressing. Or um, people in hospice. So maybe the thesis of the book, I feel, is that the healthcare system is not well-equipped to deal with death. It's very well-equipped to stop the dying process, or, like, at least postpone it to a later date. But... Medical professionals are not very well equipped to prepare their patients for death. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And maybe even add, like, it's not even just that they're not well equipped. It's, like, not their goal to prepare their... It seems like it's often not a goal to prepare a patient for death. The goal is to, like, push off death as long as possible. But then at some point, death is inevitable. And so you really should learn to deal with it. Mm-hmm. There is oh, and we should also say this is a book that doesn't like. There's no like spoilers really, so you can listen. And this is like an episode that you don't have to worry about spoilers for, because like you'll read the book and it's not like you're like crap. Wish I didn't know that was gonna happen because it's like surprise, surprise, everyone dies. Spoiler: We're all gonna die. <laughs> not if Jesus comes back. <laughs> there is okay. Um one quote in here in his book that I feel like kind of gives a good summary of the whole thing. So I'm going to read it. Um, And it says, we have room to act to shape our stories, though as time goes on, it is with narrow, narrower and narrower confines. A few conclusions become clear when we understand this, that our most cruel failure in how we treat the sick and the aged is the failure to recognize that they have priorities beyond merely being safe and living longer that the chance to shape one story is essential to sustaining meaning in life, that we have the opportunity to refashion our institutions, our culture, and our conversations in ways that transform the possibilities for the last chapters of everyone's lives. I feel like that, like that sort of summary, kind of gives a summary of what the book's about, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. A great quote. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um... So, let's start discussing. Let us discuss. Okay, so, the whole idea is that, like, everyone is kind of uncomfortable with the idea of getting old and, Mm -hmm. like, dying, right? And Atul Gawande, in the beginning, he goes into this, um, there's this chapter that talks about how before, when an old person, like, if you were growing old, you would just stay with your kids and kind of they like the expectation was your kids would take care of you and you would just die at home. 
mm-hmm. with the people that you love and you still get to do what you want. But kind that's of, kind of changing now. Yeah. And he, he like emphasized this with the story of his grandfather back in India who lived to be like, I think near 100, maybe even past 100. I don't remember. Lived to be very old and was like very active up until that point. Um, and it was interesting because he was talking about how like we kind of see this as an ideal like an old person being able to stay at home, to live with their kids, to like be active, be involved, have a purpose in their life while they're old. We really like this idea. And yet when given the opportunity, we all, maybe not we all, but like we tend to be leavers, right? Um, You know, given the opportunity, he, like his, his father and he like sort of left that sort of culture, that like way of living, I guess. And I remember I brought that up to you you have an interesting perspective on that. So I'm, I'm curious what you think about, like, do we move away from that when we get the opportunity? I don't know, because it seems to be... The way that we treat old people, it seems to be very cultural, right? So in the Philippines, there is no such thing as a nursing home. Like, that just does not exist. The life cycle of a person is basically you live with your parents, and you keep on living with them till you get married. And then maybe you have your own house. But expectations are when your parents grow, when they grow old, you take care of them. Like, that's just like baseline what any normal like Filipino person would do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of fair, right? Because the parents basically take care of their kids their whole lives. Obviously, when they're old and frail and can't take care of themselves then the kids step up and like take care of their parents but i feel like it's kind of different in america because Mm -hmm. it's all about individuality and like gaining your own independence right so usually when you're 18 you go off to college and you kind of never come back home yeah um and so i feel like that's just well, it's just desserts, isn't it? <laughs> like, you send your kid off, okay, you figure out life. Well, then, when you're old, like, kid probably doesn't isn't in the mood to take care of you, and you need to figure your own living situation that usually involves a nursing home. So I think it's just, it's just trade-offs, right? Yeah. So how does it work then if, like, so the, the way you've presented it is, like, the parents sort of stop taking care of the kids at 18 and then the kids don't really want to help them out when they're old. But like, I've always thought about it more as like the kids can't wait to get out of the house at 18 and then Mm. like don't want to take, and then don't want to take care of their parents when they're old. Maybe I'm just too harsh on people's kids. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know because hmm, I, I hesitate to like, to have it be so transactional even. And maybe it's just, like, family culture, you know? Maybe so, yeah. Because, like, I feel for maybe Asian people, they mostly, like, you listen to your mom till till you die or till your mom dies, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, like, and I I feel like I have this expectation on myself, too. Like, if my parents grow old, like, I'm already kind of, I'm prepared to, like, take care of them. Maybe it could be cultural. I'm not sure. 
I mean, I think culture probably plays a really big role in it. And I think part of it is that, like, I don't think American culture values old people. And, like, I think a lot of other cultures have much. And, like, I think I'm pretty sure. Oh, actually, never mind. I, I do know because you've told me about this before that, like, age is, like, a thing to respect in a lot of other cultures. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I don't feel like it's that way in the U.S. Like, we have our whole, like, oh, you should listen to their elders because they have good advice to give you. But it's, like, that's almost, like, a thing that you need to say to people mm-hmm. when, in most cases, like, we tend to sort of, uh, maybe I should I should not use the word we here because maybe you're not like this. But I know I tend to have this instinct that, like, an old person, oh, they're just an old fuddy-duddy who doesn't know anything, <laughs> which is, like, not not respectful. Um, and I, I wonder how that contributes to how we take care of our old people. Yeah. And it's also the fact that when people die, there's this phenomenon, right? Where, like, the healthcare system and, like, medicine is making these great strides in technology and people are just plain living longer. And Atul Gawande also goes into this whole thing where you know, people just used to drop dead at like 50 or 60 when they're like relatively spry <laughs> and they don't need as much care. But like now, when you die at like 100 or like 110, you need like round the clock care. That's just not feasible for for a country like America, I think. Yeah. And like, and isn't like, kind of, I know we're getting like a little sidetracked, but isn't mm-hmm. it kind of interesting how like the human body hasn't kept up with technology? Yes. Like, that is like we the, encounter this these whole new problems now that we like we give people the ability to live longer. We haven't found out how to fix all the problems that come with living longer. Yeah. So evolution or like adaptation hasn't hasn't kicked in yet. And so if you're like 80 years old. You're literally decomposing in your own skin. Oh, this is so morbid. I'm sorry. If you're old and you're listening to this, I apologize. Oh, man. But it's kind of crazy because, like, life expectancy 100 years ago is, like, 20 years, 20-something years less than now. Yeah. I mean, that was also influenced, I think, by the fact that, like, a lot of people died before the ages of five years old the ages of five years like a lot of people died when they were really young yeah um but yeah definitely like a much lower life expectancy 200 years ago mm-hmm. and i feel like you could have died from more stuff like yes. you could have died from a cut or yeah it's like you get a cut uh, you die an arrow to the heart i don't know <laughs> or even like like girl you had dengue fever twice. I don't think you would have survived that if you were living 100 years ago. Oh, yes. Viewers, if you did not know, I had dengue fever um, twice when I was a kid. So that's a, I'd say it's a variant on malaria. Um, yeah, and I was hospitalized. Could have died. Yeah. It could have been, this potty would not have existed if I succumbed to dengue fever. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's if there's any situation where I was very much saved by modern medicine, and I don't know. I I had some disease that I needed antibiotics for when I was a kid, but I don't remember what it was. Girl, I felt like I was I was on antibiotics like at least every other year. 
I was a pretty sickly child. Oh, man. Do you know what um, I did when I was a kid? So my, my whole family went to Kenya when I was four years old, right? And so we had to get, like, yes. a whole round of shots or whatever before we went. Um, and I go there, and, like, I was four, so I didn't quite understand that, like, things are a little, uh, there's a lot more germs and, like, things that I'm unfamiliar with going on mm-hmm. in the in, in Kenya than, like, where I was living. And so, like, yeah. within, like, 20 minutes of when we got to where I was, we were going to stay, I'd, like, scraped up my knees on some concrete or something. I drank straight out of the hose. Jenny. <laughs> my mom. <laughs> I was like, what is this child doing? And I had to like immediately go and get more shots. <laughs> I don't remember what they were for, but I remember that it happened. And Jenny, that is awful. Speaking of like, you probably shouldn't eat like any type of street food when we go to the Philippines. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> you know what though? I'll bring I'll bring my activated charcoal. That'll help me out. <laughs> That is literally the most American thing I've ever heard you say in my life. Look, Catherine, some of us are American and very white and have poor stomachs and potentially (laughs) are lactose intolerant, okay? (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. But yeah, so Atul Gawande, going back to our man... And about growing old, he, there's this chapter where he just enumerates the various ways of how, like, an old person is just not well-equipped to deal with life anymore. Like, oh, like you, the- do you remember when he talked about the human brain? Maybe. but And how, yeah. like, as you, as you grow older, like, you don't create new neurons or whatever. And so, like, your your brain actually shrinks as as you age. And um, when you're born, your your brain is flush against your skull. But when you're, like, old, there's at least an inch, there's, a, there's an inch gap between your brain and your skull. And so if you fall, you're more susceptible to brain damage because your brain's just clanging around. It's like a maraca in there. I know. <laughs> yes. That so that was really interesting to me. The thing that got me was the the foot thing. How it's like it was maybe in like the very Pardon? first chapter even. Um where he was talking to a doctor that like specializes in old people. I don't remember what what they were like a geriatrician maybe. Um and like watching him as he um, gave this older woman a checkup and how the thing that was really an indicator to him of like whether or not an old person could take care of themselves was their feet because like if they yes. have poor feet then they're significantly more likely to fall and also like they need to be able to maintain their feet in order to actually like take care of themselves and I think part of the reason I found that so impactful is because every once in a while you're out and about and you just see some old people with disgusting feet that is true like, um, when we went to see Handel's Messiah, you and I, and we were, like, standing in the, like, atrium area, and there was a gospel choir singing, and there was this woman next to us who was wearing sandals in the middle of winter, and her feet were disgusting. Yes! 
Yes, I so remember that. Yeah, I remember that because you you told me about it and I had to look. I had to whip my glasses out, remember? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that. Her feet were disgusting. And now, like, looking back on it, I'm like, man, that poor woman is, like, probably struggling to take care of herself. No, it is completely terrifying how when you're old, you're just one bad fall away from independence. Yes. Like, no, sorry, dependence. Dependence. Yeah. Yes. Girl, if I was one fall away from independence, I'm throwing myself down the stairs. Yes. Anyway. Because, yeah, like, can you imagine if I, like, felt the need to tell, like, if you fell down the stairs, I would be like, oh, like, sorry about that whatever that would not be majorly concerned i'd be like oh clumsy catherine teehee but if my grandma (laughs) fell down the stairs i would be like oh no she's probably on her last legs (laughs) (laughs) like i guess okay here's a question for you catherine all right how old does someone have to be for like if i said to you like this person fell down the stairs you'd be like oh no instead of just like ha ha I feel like they would have to at least be my mom's age. Because if my mom fell down the... St- so, like... Oh, this is so... Cause here's yeah, because, thing. like, if I was a, li- a, a little teeny kid and my mom fell down the stairs, I would still be very concerned. Interesting. Because I feel like if my mom fell down... Like, I love you, mom. But I feel like if my mom fell down the stairs right now, like, I would be a little concerned. And I feel like she'd probably be beat up. But I wouldn't be like, oh, no, she probably has a broken hip. Oh, I don't know, because I would be so concerned. Well, actually, I think it depends on the stairs. Because, like, and how soft the landing is at the bottom. But then also, like... You if heard it, was... it here, folks. Jenny doesn't care if her mom falls down the stairs. Here's the thing, though. A ladder is a totally different story. If I heard that my mom fell down the ladder from our attic, I would be the concerned. But also, I might just have ladder trauma because, like, my dad did fall off a ladder one time, and the man quite badly injured himself. Right? Yeah, I remember. Um, you took me on a tour on. Your... Oh yeah, I was like, that <laughs> um, was where my dad almost died. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh okay. Oh man. All right, so we've talked about how scary. It- scary it is to grow old now i i guess let's kind of pivot to have we ever had to deal with maybe loved ones passing away due to old age um and like how did your family deal with old people yeah that's a good question so like the the main people i think of are my grandparents as like people who've you know actually passed away and um, my one, my, the grandparents on the one side of the family, I'm not going to talk about so much because the one is still alive and the other one like died when I was really young, so I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on my mom's side, both of my grandparents lived to be fairly old. So like my grandma was 93 when she died. And my grandfather was over 100 when he died. Um, and it was very much like my, my uncle lived like right next door to them, basically. And took care of them, or like, I don't know about took care of them, like he wasn't necessarily waiting on them hand and foot, but like as they were getting older, was kind of there to help do the things that they couldn't do. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I'm trying to remember how I don't actually remember that much about when my grandma died. Um, but she did she had a fall and like broke her hip. And then she got surgery for it, but I think the surgery was kind of like a traumatic experience for her, like an understandably. Like can you imagine of course, yeah. getting hip surgery when you're in your nineties? Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. Um, and then she ended up I think she ended up staying in a nursing home for like the last the last while of her life just because like it wasn't really feasible for her to get the care that she needed at home. I think. I might be wrong about that. Um, so okay. mom, if you're listening and I'm saying this wrong, please let me know. Um, but then my grandfather just like lived for a while and then I don't remember if he had a fall or like what his deal was, but it was kind of like something happened and it was like, Hey, he's probably going to die soon. So we went on hospice and then managed to like pull through for like a few weeks, way longer than anyone thought he would. And then he passed away. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I want to hear about yeah. your experience. Yeah. Like off the top of my head. So... I don't know. Both my grandpas died when I was super young, so I don't really remember. Well, okay, one of, one of my grandpas died, like, before I was born, and then the other one died when I was less than five, I feel. So I don't remember much at all, but my grandma died, like... I love that I'm acting like I've never told you, <laughs> told you this before <laughs> for the sake of the potty. But I think I kind of like the way she died because... She kept her own independence. Mm. Um, she had her own house. And, you know, in the Philippines, it's more, it's like easier to pay for um, people to like take care of you. I mean, the standard of living is way cheap. And so it was easier for her to get help in the house and like help with like keeping track of her meds and stuff like that. She did fall. Um, and this should give you an idea of what kind of a queen she was, because before she, before she would get on the ambulance, woman put her makeup on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let me just say that our grandmothers were very different people, but I think they were both two very independent women. And I like to think that they're up in heaven now and they're like watching us having our fun little lives on a little like TV screen. And they're like giggling to each other about how fun we are. I know. So, yeah. Lady would rather have died than shown up to the hospital with no makeup on, I guess. But that that was like the kind of person she was. Um, yeah, and she died suddenly of a of a heart attack. Um, and yeah, so like I think she had a very idyllic kind of aging process. But then a not so ideal like aftermath. You know, because there's, like, Atul Gawande also goes into, like, how do we prepare, like, the loved ones of these old people for, like, for death. Yeah. You know? Because I thought she would live forever. (laughs) Because, like, there is, it's definitely easier when someone dies if, like, you've gotten used to the idea of it. Like, when my when my grandfather died, like, it was definitely sad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 it was sad when someone dies, but, like, the man was, like, nearly 102. Like, it wasn't like this was surprising <laughs> any of us. <laughs> right, yeah. And even then, like, he was he was very near death for a few weeks, and so it was, like, 
we all knew it was going to happen. I think if, um, you know, he had just like suddenly dropped dead 15 years earlier, it would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. But yeah, honestly, I thought that I could still, (laughs) I thought my grandma could still take care of my kids and like I could go do fun things. (laughs) Like that was what was in my head. But it was a little unrealistic. Honestly, I thought I would die. uh, I thought she would outlive me (laughs) in my mind. (laughs) Or like, I just thought, I remember talking to her about like, my retirement and how I want to live in her house with her. And I'm like, <laughs> by then she'd be like 130 <laughs> or something equally. <laughs> I just did not do the math. Um, and so I was like not prepared for that. <laughs> Why? See, okay, this is what I was worried about when we were gonna like talk about this book because anytime we talk about something sad, we just completely break down in laughter. <laughs> Maybe we should clarify for our listeners that both Catherine and I like we like when we're talking about sad things, we laugh, which is inappropriate. But it seems to be a common human response. And I've always kind of wondered about that. Like, mm. I think there's something or like if I'm telling someone like something sad that happened, I feel the need to like smile as I'm saying it. <laughs> and I think it's like trying to con- like something deep within me trying to convey the idea that like this isn't actually that terrible. I'm not actually like that sad about this thing. I need you to know that like I'm not going to break down in tears in front of you. Jenny, this so reminds me of something that you told me like way before we were officially like friends friends because mm-hmm. you told me that your cousin got kidnapped oh, and yes. you said it all with like a smile on your face I was Girl, like okay I was that was a rough time for me yes so my my cousin was kidnapped by a gang in Haiti I love that we're still laughing. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay now because like he got home safely. He married a girl he was kidnapped with. Like it all worked out. To be clear, he didn't marry her. His kidnapper. That's true. He married a fellow kidnappy. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Well, it's like, how do you? Like, I, I think it's like I don't want you to feel the need to be sad about this thing that I'm sad about. Like, I can deal with my sadness on my own. Yeah. Okay, so we need to get back on track, girl. Um, anyway, so Atul Gawande goes into several strategies on how to keep old people active in the nursing home. Because it seems like in the U.S. there, there isn't really much of a choice except the nursing home for mm-hmm. the aged. Especially when, you know, their kids aren't in a position to take care of them for for like most of the time. So mm-hmm. um, mostly he goes into these kind of strategies. Oh, wait, I did say that. So birds, right? Yes. So one, one of, of his, the, yeah, go ahead. yeah. So like one of the um, strategies that this one nursing home did was to bring in a bunch of birds for the, old people to take care of so each 
old person got a bird and it was their job to keep it alive, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow that that made life at the nursing home so much more livable. And why do you think that is? I don't know. Like, I think, like, some of the stuff he brought up when he was talking about this, like, he talked about how the initial, like, assisted living facilities were really beneficial for old people. And it was, like, because they had got to have a place that was their own that they had control over. But, like, they don't have control over a bird. So, I don't know. I think it's, like, there's something innate in us that wants to, like, wants to have the opportunity to take care of something, whether that be a kid or an animal or our own home. Like there's a, there's a purpose that comes with that when it's like not just us living for ourselves, but us living Mm -hmm. for something else. Um, And I, I don't still don't feel like I quite understand what's so powerful about that. But it seems like it made an enormous difference in the lives of these nursing home residents. I mean, I think having other people or creatures that depend on you somehow makes you want to be better. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, my room has been a mess for like three weeks. (laughs) So, but then you're coming over. And you're staying in my room, and it is pristine right now. And I feel like it's the same thing. Like, oh, somebody's in my, like, this creature is in my space. Like, I got to take care of it. Let mm-hmm. me step up and, like, you know, yeah, do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe it's also routine and not mandated routine. It's a routine that you dictate yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's, like, why you're less depressed if you have a job. <laughs> Just because you have, like, something to, something to keep yeah, you yourself have something busy. To, yeah, you have something to keep yourself busy. You have something. You feel like you're making contributions. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe so. Because I feel like if you're just sitting all day, um, like, watching your show on the television and eating pudding from a pudding cup like what's the point of even being around anymore you're not doing anything or at least I feel like that's how I would feel if that's how it was for me when I was old yeah Um, I think but like if you've got a if you've got a purpose something to like do something to take care of yeah then like feels. I feel like one of the best feelings is feeling you know like you're contributing Mm mm-hmm yeah. So ever, I think, yeah. I have a question for you. Uh, have you ever been to a nursing home? I have not. They are depressing. <laughs> oh, you know what? Well, this wasn't a nursing home. It was more of like an independent living mm. situation. So it was an old folks community. <laughs> Oh, okay. But they each had their own, like, individual houses. And, um, yeah, but it was, like, all under this big nursing home. And if you couldn't take care of yourself, then you moved into that makes sense. assisted living, I guess, you know? Yeah. I have, I was going to say I've sung at many a nursing home, but that's not true. I've sung at two different nursing homes several times. 
Because <laughs> for a while, our church would do this thing of like, I think once a month, we would all like go to this nursing home and like sing for the old people, help them feel happier about their lives. And like, some of them really enjoyed it. So like, it was sweet, I guess. But it's just really, really sad. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if like the most exciting part of your week was some like group of Mennonites coming to sing? <laughs> Also, there was this old woman who was at the nurse that nursing home. She was like 104 or something, very old. Mm-hmm. And I had to do this project for a class where I had to like interview an old person. But it was an ed yeah. class, so it was about like it was focused around like multiculturalism in the classroom, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, so I go to this old woman and I'm asking her my questions, and I'm supposed to like transcribe this interview for mm-hmm. uh for the class and like some of the things she's saying are like not necessarily outright racist but like along the lines and i'm like what am i supposed to do because i need to like i need this interview it was due in like two days i didn't have another old person to talk to there weren't enough old people lying around in the nursing home (laughs) well i didn't i didn't know any of the other old people um But, like, I didn't want it to sound like I was condoning the things that she was saying. So I ended up just, like, transcribing it. Um, And then my professor made some notes, like, and it was like, I didn't didn't say these things she did. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. But isn't it kind of interesting how, I don't know, am I infantilizing, infantilizing old people? Like, I feel like part of what like a big thing that makes them so happy is just having someone to talk to Mm -hmm. like listen to me and that's kind of like how a kid is you know yeah look at me listen to me yeah so yeah you know what my great skill is is i love listening to old people i cannot get enough of like old people's stories i love that i i wish that was a skill of mine i feel like i I can talk to old people some but i'm too like i talk too fast for them i think and then i get antsy because they take a long time to say what they want to say no i am i just love listening to old people's stories and i'm also a very good nodder and a Mm. very good mm mm-hmm person and they love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think having a purpose in life is as important as quality of life. Which yeah. kind of like, maybe if we go back to the book, there's this one story about how this one old guy told his son that um, as long as he can watch football and eat ice cream like do whatever you want like do whatever it takes as long as I can still like comfortably watch football and eat ice cream Mm -hmm. and so that was his limit right yeah what do you think your limit is like what what would make life not like if you didn't have that one thing then life wouldn't be worth living anymore yeah, I mean, I don't know about, like, life being... 
or like just no. let me go. <laughs> but yeah, like if I'm, it was the choice between a surgery or like me living a life that I can't do this specific thing, then just let me go. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like to clarify this story, like um, I think it was his daughter actually. Like she had to make a decision about a surgery for him that like could potentially go wrong, but like also could add some time to his life. And so like the question she asked was, if it like if it doesn't go well, can he still? you know sit eat ice cream and watch football and the answer was yes she was like okay go ahead with the surgery but i don't i don't know if i know what mine is and i feel like it would change throughout my life like if i was young okay if you were young Mm -hmm. what what is your baseline like i need to be able to do this um if i'm young i need to be able to like i know what yours is what is it I think your baseline is you want to be able to play frisbee. Like, what if you're so like you're okay like being paraplegic? Well, if I'm about to die anyway, <laughs> then you're okay just being paraplegic. I for mean, the rest like, of your life? I think I see. Okay, I guess maybe that's the question. Is like, if you're young, does that mean you have a higher baseline or a lower one? Right? Because if I've got my whole life ahead of me. Uh huh. And like the surgery could potentially like give me all that life ahead of me, but I also like if it goes wrong, I might be paraplegic. Like, mm-hmm. I think I would still choose to live the rest of my life. Mm, but okay. if I'm eighty, and it's a choice between like paraplegic, you know, paraplegic, and doesn't go uh, yeah paraplegic or like you don't have as long to live you can like move for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. then i would probably go with not having surgery Mm. so like you're you don't care so much about quality of life if you have a lot of life to live yeah i think because like you have time to adapt to it maybe I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is, what is your what would your baseline be? Is like, oh, I should be able to read a book. Yeah. Like I want to be able to to think and ha- like to have thoughts and process them and communicate in some way. Okay, so you wouldn't want a life where you couldn't communicate. Yeah. Okay. And, like, it could be pretty rudimentary communication, but I would want to be able to communicate. Mm. Girl, you've heard how much I love to talk. Can you imagine if I couldn't get all the thoughts I had off my chest? Yes, sir. Anyway, so what would your baseline be? Uh, Probably my baseline is, can I still do the work that I do? Like, Meaning, can I sit? Yeah, like, can I sit in a desk and, like, type because i don't think i would like to live a life where i'm just a burden on Mm. on like all the people around me you know yeah that makes sense yeah so like i figure if i'm able to do the work that i can do now that i can also do all the other stuff that i enjoy like art and Mm -hmm. like reading and and math and math so yeah i think that makes sense Mm -hmm. because then there's also this um 
this question, right, of when you know that you have this, like, life-threatening condition, um, is it okay to... Because I feel like there's such a big stigma in saying, I've had enough of this treatment, and I just want to live the rest of my life, however long that is. Yeah. Because, like, everything, every instinct in me... It's always just like do whatever you can as long as I'm still like, you know? Yeah. Do whatever you can for me to be alive. That was something that I found one of the concepts I found the most fascinating in this book actually was this idea of like people are doing like going not going crazy but like pushing and pushing and pushing for just like a month longer or like two months longer. Mm-hmm. potentially and it's like i think sometimes we need more of an idea of like it's okay yeah to just like calm down go on hospice <laughs> and like just really enjoy the rest of your days you're gonna like you're gonna die at some point anyway you might as well die comfortably yeah now, i'm not saying that I condone assisted suicide because I do not. Yeah. But yeah. But um, go ahead. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if you know that mentality of like do whatever it takes to be alive. I feel like it's equal parts the person dying and it's also equal parts the the people around the person that's dying. Cuz I yeah. know any like like if you were dying i would be like do whatever it takes to like keep jenny alive you know yes yeah like if you were dying i would be like whatever it takes i need more time with Catherine. yeah and like yeah it, it would be really hard it would be really hard to not feel that way especially because like i'd i would feel so guilty saying like all right it's time we just need to let her go Mm -hmm. like at some point that is going to be the kindest option and like is it on you to to decide when it's okay or like should this decision just purely come from the person who's dying i don't know but like sometimes also the person who's dying can't really make that decision like um so oh like if they're incapacitated yeah or they're really young yeah um so like there's a a couple in my bible study who know this little girl who's um like had a bunch of different conditions and like can't really communicate but um was like in the in and out of the hospital a lot and like right now is i don't know if she's on hospice but like very much in the process of dying like her parents essentially had to make the decision to like stop with a lot of the sort of um treatments treatments a lot of the like surgery surgery um the like feeding process because they had to use a tube for that and it was really like painful for her i'm sure yeah um and so they had to stop that and like that would be such a hard decision to make as a parent but at some point like it is the right one like at some point it becomes crueler to keep someone around when they're suffering than it is to let them go i don't know what point that is 
Yeah. And it's also like, you don't want, I feel like people are hesitant to put a decision forth. Like if somebody dies naturally and it's like not on your hands, I feel it feels better than deciding like, oh, that person is ready to die or like, mm -hmm. oh, let's keep going. And so I don't know. Maybe yeah. the the solution is we all need to explicitly like tell like all of our loved ones like exactly at what point <laughs> we can go. I mean, honestly, you know? I feel like that's a good strategy because if your loved ones know what you want before you get into those situations, then like there it's not like they're making the like they're making a decision knowing it's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I should you know what we should do after this is we should write up documents for all our loved ones detailing exactly what <laughs> our watching football and eating ice cream is so they know whether we want the plug pulled on us or not. Like if I'm like in a vegetative state, brain dead, yeah. girl, pull the plug, give my organs to somebody. Like I don't need them anymore. Right, yeah. Oh, this is so depressing. <laughs> Okay. I want to think about you dying. Okay, Jenny, let's let's end this potty on a high note. Okay. Because this is kind of a downer. Yes. Okay, say we are 60 years old. All right. And we're at a pretty decent nursing home. Oh, maybe okay. not 60. Let's say 70. And, like, girls live longer than guys. Mm -hmm. so, so let's husbands say our husbands yeah so let's say our husbands are dead and we're both in our nursing homes i mean we're in the same nursing home obvi what what is the strategy to rule the nursing home well okay so you're already like great at talking to old people right i'll be great at talking to you <laughs> you'll be great at talking to me but i'll be younger than you first of all <laughs> second of all here's the, here's what we're gonna do okay you're okay. gonna have the job of charming all of the other residents right i'll yes. charm the staff should be should we be head of like the party planning committee we should be or head like... of the party planning committee head of the bingo club <laughs> yes um that's how like we stay young right is we yes. need to be involved and we need to we'll have organize a, purpose, a sewing right? circle <laughs> i was gonna say something with knitting or crocheting but i can't do either of those can you imagine we'll like what if the potty bees. is still alive what if the potty is still alive it's just us seven year olds or years old like bartholomew at the nursing home tried to <laughs> tried to hit on me the other day but i my wooing days are over <laughs> yes yes we need to be like president of all the clubs yes yes and also we can do water water exercises like you know how old people do like exercises in pools because they're um like slow impact right yeah yeah we can do that and they're like yes. little old lady swimsuits. <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> but okay, I like that we have a plan for um, the nursing home. Yeah. Also, 
Yes. I bet they would let us share a room, right? Yes, we need to share a room. Because how fun would that be? <laughs> that would be so fun. And we just have our like little debrief before bed. Yes. Like you will not believe what this nurse said to this other nurse the one time today. You know what? I bet it would keep our minds so sharp if we were just like, you know, if we still had the mentality of like everything in our lives is tea. Yes, because I think it would like, like we would know like all these little details about people and that would keep our memory sharp. It would you know? keep our memory sharp. And if one of us did start to develop dementia, the other person would notice. Yes. 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 Because you know what is also like a big cause of like health problems and death is the lack of a significant other. Yes. Because like then nobody notices if you're off. Yes. But if both our husbands are dead, it'll be perfect. (laughs) It'll be perfect. It's fine. We'll still survive. We'll be fine. We'll be Um, fine. We can also, we can keep doing the mini crossword and the Sudoku together to keep our minds sharp. Yes, we have not been doing that I I lately. started, the past few days I've been doing them, but I've been doing really bad. For reference our li- to our, for our listeners, um, for a while, Catherine and I were doing the New York Times mini crossword and easy Sudoku every morning. And then we'd like compete to see who did it the fastest. Um, I did it the fastest. Day. It was mostly ca- it was most often Catherine, but sometimes I would beat her. But, oh, yeah, especially did- in Sudoku. Yeah, you did yeah, the I crossword in like thirteen seconds or something once, right? Oh yeah, that was just the one time. That's crazy. Usually okay. it's like sub thirty at best. Yeah, I feel like I usually have it right around the thirty mark. Yeah. Um. Anyway, my laptop is about to die, so we should probably wrap this thing up. We are going to wrap this thing up. Wrap it up. Okay, any last thoughts about Atul Gawande? Because we have strayed from our discussion guide. We've strayed from our discussion guide, but I do feel like we still really talked about the book a lot or talked about the ideas that the book gave us. So good on us for that. Um, In two weeks, hopefully, we'll be talking about um, Dorcas Smucker's new book. (laughs) Something, something. Roost, yeah. Coming home to roost, yeah. My my mom um is publishing a book. I don't know if we'll get it in time for that. So if we don't, then we'll do it the week after. But uh, oh no, that's in a month. Yeah, so we'll have we'll be fine for that. Our next episode, I don't even know what it's going to be about. Something fun. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I have a couple ideas, but that's for next year. Next time, yeah. If you have any like great ideas for the podcast, send us a little DM on Instagram. We're at idiots.alphabet.soup. Yes. All right. We'll see you next time, babouche. See you next time, babouche.